Welcome to Spread Talk with Pam and John, also known as The Calm, Before the Storm. Our purpose is to elevate the conversation and amplify special education resources. And our why is all about the kids. You know, Pam, there are so many organizations and, and people around Texas who are just making it happen for kids with disabilities. So let's make this a platform to celebrate their efforts because special education is about making the impossible possible. Hey, Pam. Hey, John. Hey, so what'd you think of that transition from the uh, parking garage into the convention center? Well, we're such a brain trust <laughs> that we couldn't get out of the parking garage into the building without help. So I'm not sure what that means or what it says about us. So driving down from Moody Bank, it took us probably twice as long to drive from there to here to park in the parking garage to go up two different elevators to make it into this building than if we would have just walked. But what we avoided was the heat and the humidity. So maybe we got it right. We might have gotten it right, John. Well, listen, we Let's are go. so excited. We're back in Austin. Amy, I'm what do you here. Think? It's awesome. Uh, this is awesome another, Austin. <laughs> another episode of Sped Talk. And we've got a lot of people in the room with us today. We're so excited to be here at the 43rd uh, annual uh, TAVAC conference. And why don't we go around the room and, and we can all say who's in the room. Okay. Uh, my name is Vicki Mitchell. I'm with Sam Houston State University, the Garrett Center on Transition and Disability Studies. Okay. Pam Humphrey, your host for Spad Talk. I'm Kayla Daniel with Education Service Center Region 12. <laughs> I'm Susie May, and I'm with the Texas Education Agency as the State co um, Transition Coordinator. And I'm Townsley Tabianpour. I'm a Transition Specialist with Region 4 Education Service Center in Houston. And I'm Corina Cole. I'm a professor, assistant associate professor at Sam Houston State University, and I am also part of the Garrett Center on Transition and Disability Studies. And I'm Amy Rogers from Region 9, Pam and John's partner. And I'm John. And here we go. Thank you guys for coming in and being part of this episode. Oh, you're welcome. We're glad to be here. Well, we're excited. This is important work. I mean, you guys have been working real hard for quite some time now. And I think in some, in some instances, people don't know that you've done so much work on these efforts. And so can you talk a little bit about the network, the transition network, the title of the network, and, and really the, 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 uh, the purpose and the mission? Absolutely. Uh, the name of the new network now is the uh, Student Center Transitions Network, and it's an S on transition. And the reason why is because it looks at transition now from birth to adult. Yeah. Same thing that we do as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. Sure. We don't wait until age 14. We start thinking the moment that child is born. Yeah. And so as a state, we acknowledge that. And it has become a national and international movement. And so uh, we were just delighted when we saw that that became the Texas Education Agency's vision yeah. because it was like, all right, this is this is something that have been, has been done in pockets throughout uh, Texas. And so now what they did was give the state the opportunity to operationalize that concept and make it consistent across the state. Yeah, I love that. So with the early transition, so you're saying from birth to I guess entering school and, and after school, after they entered school. Yeah. So can you give us an idea of what you all are thinking for on the early side of transition? Some and first ideas. of all, um, I want to say that we coined early to exit. Early so, to exit. Early okay. So that's kind of the mindset that we have. But um, for starters, we're looking at the transition from the part, the IDEA part C to B transition. Mm -hmm. So, that the ECI is really under another entity there housed over at the Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. And so as we take those children into Part B, we want a smooth transition to that and then um, then onward through exit. Okay. So for, for our audience who might not know, so ECI is... I'm sorry, another <laughs> acronym, Early okay. Childhood Intervention. Mm -hmm. 
And I also mentioned IDEA, which is Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so how is, you know, I know that the ECI, the early childhood interventions and that transition from, you know, up to three prior to school age and then after three entering our public school systems, except for some exceptions, I guess, for students, I guess it's maybe with um, deaf and hard of hearing and some of the stuff that starts earlier in regards to public school. But how, how is it, what's different? Because in some ways, I think we've had these expectations that there be a smooth transition between those. And, but now is it just this network is ex explicitly focusing on that transition to ensure that maybe we're, we're looking at it from a different lens or we're providing more support for that transition? Well, what we're looking at is what exists as well as what needs to exist. Okay. So if I'm a teacher in a school district, what does that look like? Well, it piggybacks on what um, Susie was saying about the transitions from the ECI when they leave those services mm -hmm. under Health and Human Services, move into us as, at the school district mm -hmm. level, and then through early childhood, special education, elementary, uh, the secondary years, and then those years uh, of the ages 18 through 21. So that kind of gives you the long view of it. Mm -hmm. But for me, as an early childhood special ed teacher or an elementary teacher, you know, how is it that I fit into the concept of transition, you know, from birth to exit? Well, yeah. uh, what we're looking at there is we're looking at those students who enter uh, the public school with a disability that we need to provide the parents that information mm -hmm. on how to connect to the agencies. Yes. Because those parents who are already uh, within the agency systems that that have, especially if they have a wait list, then by the time they get to secondary, the supports that the parents have, you know, it, coupled with what the school districts do, it provides them what they need outside of public school to really take advantage of what we're doing in addition to build that better life after they leave us. Because sure. the greatest fear for a parent is after the education system is gone, it's it's them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's that's one of the things that we can do by providing that information when those children are very young. Yeah. But there's also pieces of our special education paperwork mm. that that we can take a different look at. Uh, some of the examples that we talk about is the uh, what there's a, a long name to it. But informally, we tend to think of it as the autism supplement. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the sections on the autism supplement, there's one that's called futures planning. Well, futures planning, you know, sometimes if, if I'm an uh, elementary special ed teacher, I look at that and I think, well, that's secondary, so that's an NA mm. right there. Well, it's really not an NA, yeah. because, but the question is, what is the disability that that child has? Mm -hmm. What What's, you know, are they out in the rural area? Right. Are they in the suburban area? How can we help the parents to get the information they need to not only connect with the agencies, but begin to think about those skills and behaviors that lead to uh, better results later. And sometimes, even as teachers, we don't always think about the fact that in the classroom that a child who's able to follow directions, mm -hmm. stay on task, learn to ask for help, I think of those as an elementary teacher, uh, a skill that's needed to be successful in my classroom. Sure. John, I can see that same skill list mm -hmm. if I looked at the Department of Labor. Yeah. And the skill set that makes a successful employee. Isn't that the truth? And and I know we've talked a little bit about that in previous episodes, but that idea of those soft skills and those communication skills and self-advocacy skills and being self-determined and a lot of the things that many of our young adults are, are, I guess, leaving our schools and they haven't developed those skills. And and so I think it's great that that's the focus of this network is to ensure that we're looking at, an, at a much earlier time in the lives of these students as they enter our school systems, even, even before they enter them. So is there an intentional or is there a focus on connecting with HHSC? Is there an arm to that in regards to strengthening those relationships with HHSC and then public schools? And because that's been a bit of a kind of a disconnect, I think, in the past. Well, there's an MOU with uh -huh. DEA and HHS because <clears throat> because of that. And so with the early childhood, so they're already have we have that in place, mm -hmm. I think, and the people, the players at the table there. And as we move forward, it's, it's just to strengthen those yeah. uh, collaborations. 
Yeah. And people um, sometimes will, you know, laugh. Why are we talking about transition when they're young children? But the playground, that's another area of soft skills, building relationships. Absolutely. Things Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're worth your while as far as outcomes and mm-hmm. and just a lot of child development types yeah. of things. And when you think about development and developmental theories and, you know, we, we, we transition through our lives. I mean, I currently have my mom in my home right now and she's in her mid eighties and she's transitioning out of her home into our home, maybe temporarily, maybe not. We're making decisions. And, but, you know, we take that for granted. The transition never stops. Absolutely. I mean, and so when I think when we put boundaries around a concept like transition, whether it's federally mandated or at a state level or, you know, we run the risk of only doing that which it says Mm -hmm. in the law versus opening our minds to the reality that we see transition daily in our own lives. You know, I'm not quite as young as I used to be. I don't like to admit Mm -hmm. that, but, but, you know, it's one of those things. It really is birth to exit and exit could even be exit, you know? And so, um, so, so it's really neat. Go ahead, Pam. Okay, I was just going to ask Townsley. I'm not going to let her sit there and be quiet. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, working out of ESC and then working, you know, with districts and, you know, bringing this concept of transition to the elementary level, what do you foresee as being the challenge hmm. or, if, or do you foresee a challenge? Well, I think that, I mean, we have already had lots of challenges. And so that's what I think is really great about this network is that we, there's really some intentionality, um, bringing all those activities, bringing those conversations together, because by having actual, the early childhood being, you know, those transitions being a part of this network, it gives us that opportunity to do intentional collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only uh, the student center transition network, but we are just one of 10. We are just one of the 10 uh, networks that the, state of Texas has, you know, put together with intentional activities. Um, because all of, if you look at all of the other networks, the other nine networks, in addition to us, we all have overlapping early childhood needs. So I think that, um, the state has recognized the challenges that we've all been facing in those collaborations and bridging those gaps. And these, you know, networks were not just for, it's not just a, a brainchild of TEA. This was actually intentional based off of feedback with parents. There were parent focus groups, giving feedback about what their <clears throat> concerns were, what their needs were. And so, I mean, the, the new, these new networks are born with intentional focus, yeah. activities and goals to really try to reach uh, the needs of our parents. And so now we're actually able to um, work together to meet some of those goals and track the progress that we're making. We can collect data on those things and we can actually um, overlap and, and provide resources together. So I think that, uh, you know, and, and whether you're working in the field of special education or whether you're working in career and technical education, we always kind of feel like we're in silos sometimes yeah. because you may be the, you may feel, well, I'm the only person who's doing this in this room right now. Right. So this allows us to have a lot more conversations about some of those challenges and, and really try to uh, work together to see how we can kind of, kind of break down some of those silos and work together to determine what our parents need, what our students need, what our teachers, our boots on the grounds, you know, what our administrators need. Um, So I think, uh, you know, in the early childhood realm, I think uh, everybody's been, you know, wanting more collaboration. Uh, So I think this network is really going to give us the ability uh, to reach out, provide more training and resources um, because the need's there. Um, But now we actually have, you know, that intentional focus um, and the ability to support all of those people out there that have been doing the work. So how long has this network or have the networks been in development? Like the the transition from the previous networks, I think there was 16 in Texas, they said before, mm-hmm. and we're going now we've kind of reconfigured a few of them and then kind of changed some things up. We have now 10 networks um, in Texas. And is it, I guess two questions. One is, when did this work that, that this group of people is working on right here in this room, when did this begin for you? Um, mm-hmm. where, where are you at at this point? And it, are there pieces of... Maybe the old network, are there products, things that will carry forward, or is this just a clean break and a start over? You know, that's an excellent question, and I'm glad you're giving us the opportunity to share with your listeners. Um, The Student-Centered Transitions Network under the 10 networks is a new one, but it's not a new one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a transition in Texas prior to this. It's existed for a very long time. Uh, As the... The, uh, 
the previous network, Transition in Texas, existed, it was the transition specialist consultant from each of the 20 ESCs, along with the Texas education, um, you know, person who is the support person for the network. Mm -hmm. And it was... Um, organized and, and run by Region 11, which did an amazing job uh, and has been a, a big part of our support system as the new work was, a uh, new network was created. When the Texas Education Agency looked at trying to uh, find a, a better way to meet the needs of the stakeholders in Texas and, and Townsley did a beautiful job of operationalizing what uh, the purpose of that was, the letter of interest, which was put out, we looked at it and we saw all the different uh, things that were being uh, provided as an opportunity for somebody to jump in and to apply to lead the new network mm -hmm. um, because it, it did change considerably. And they opened it also to universities to apply as well as ESCs, education service centers. And so uh, all being transition people in the Garrett Center, uh, and some of us had worked for ESCs, we saw this as a wonderful opportunity. So we jumped in and decided to apply. So that really is when the initial work started because as we began to write the plan, mm -hmm. we recognized that with Texas as a big a state as it is, mm. and so diverse from top to bottom, side to side, that number one, it needed the it, it needed a, a big group of people who could take this and run with it for the state. Mm. And so uh, San Houston State University, because we had done a lot of work around the state, we had relationships around the state. And we, lit we looked at also all the different things that we were going to be trying to do to help teachers, help students and parents, and, and thought, how do we make this uh, how do we do this in such a way that we don't overwhelm people? Mm -hmm. Well, if we were asking all 20 of the ESCs to jump in and help develop all this stuff, yeah. in addition to everything else that they were doing, uh, that would have, it could be done because great people, but how can we help them to help the people that they serve? Yeah. And, and we knew that there were a lot of great things going on at, at all the ESCs. So we picked some that matched some of the things that were being uh, requested by the Texas Education Agency. So as a result, we wound up with the leadership team of the Garrett Center at Sam Houston State University and some of the people that you have listened to here, like Townsley Tabianpour at Region 4 and Kayla Daniels at Region uh, 12 Whoop. in Waco, that in, <laughs> which John is from. Yes, ma'am. Uh, oh, how did you know yeah, that? Yeah. No, I'm just I get around, John. Uh. And, uh, and, and so then we also have um, uh, Elizabeth Danner, Region 11, oh. yeah. Sam 13, Gonzalez, 13. Or, excuse yeah, me, 13. 13. Yes. yes. Sorry, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth Dan at Region 13, Sam Gonzalez at Region 20, and then Sandy Cox from Region 10. Yeah. And so we contacted those people and we said, guys, Texas is big and we need you. Would you join us as part of just the, the worker bee team sure. to help take all these great things that are being done around the state and then put them together and then, so that the ESCs can have as many materials and resources as they can mm -hmm. to then go out and help them do the job, but also to give all the teachers. We're Teachers, we are always out there looking for stuff, and we spend half of our time looking for it. Absolutely. And if we can spend it using it, that'd be so much better. <laughs> Wouldn't so, that be? Yeah, that's so true. that's our goal is to try and do that. Now, it won't be accomplished in one year, but sure. we're going to get a big start here. So, so. It's the network has existed for a long time, but now it's been retooled yeah. uh, to to serve a bigger focus. But then, as, as Susie May from the Texas Education Agency was saying a little bit earlier, and Townsley mentioned it, we're going to be tapping into all those other networks too, because as Susie said, you know, transition it hits everything. Absolutely. It hits the technology people. It hits the progress in the general curriculum. It yeah. hits the you know, it hits everybody. The rural, the small. Every one of us here, transition people, we oh, know, yeah. and your listeners know, the hardest, the most difficult ones are the ones that are out there in those smaller rural Small districts. Because if you're the only game in town, yeah. it's you know where am I going to get you a job? That's right. You know, so mm -hmm. um, it's difficult. Yeah. Things like tra transportation, and I know in Absolutely. region, you know, it's yeah. interesting. You think Texas is is such a large, diverse state, um, but really and truly, we're a state of of rural. 
and these these rural and these small districts um, interspersed across with a few big ones here, a few mid-sized ones there. But it's it's amazing how many small and rural districts we have, and really, so every region has mm-hmm. the small and yes, rural yes, need. Yeah. Yes, and and in fact, uh, Kayla Daniel, who's here from Region Twelve. Uh, your stomping ground. Yes, that's an that's an air, that's a focus of hers as well as the the military readiness. Yeah, and Kayla's got some great things going on with that. Yes, one thing that we've looked at um, as a state, we've looked at college and career readiness for our students in some depth, and we're expanding that considerably. But one thing we haven't looked at as much is military readiness. Mm. And so that is going to be a focus for us is to see what hurdles or what barriers may exist for our students with disabilities who may want to enlist and see if we can help overcome those and help create pathways and close the gaps so that they have a better opportunity to get enlisted and serve our country just like everybody else. Kevin, share with them what you're getting ready to do with the self-determination and the student-led IEPs. That's awesome. Well... Um, Dr. Michael Waymeyer, who has 20 years of research and is the, you know, I think uncontested leader in this field, is personally going to develop products and materials for us that we can oh, roll out to awesome. districts. Isn't that incredible? That's for the state of Texas. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's yeah. Exciting. So when we say we want to be a leader in the nation yes. um, in this field, we definitely have the people in place to do it. So if you are a... Um, especially a director out in the field and you're thinking about, hey, I've been thinking about doing this student-led art thing or I've been thinking about building those self-determination skills. It sounds like now's the time to take some risks and to start start trying some of those And things. we will be providing you with the tools to do it. Yeah. The materials so you don't have to, you know, build your own plane. Yes. We're going to give you the blueprints and, and the tools to make that happen for your kids. And we're trying, I mean, self-determination was added to the law in the last legislative sure. session. And so exactly. we are still trying yes. to build resources and information to help parents understand more about self-determination so yes. that those art committees can have meaningful conversations about self-determination skills. Because I haven't met a student, let alone an adult, that doesn't have an area of self-determination that we couldn't use additional training and resources to develop, exactly. right? Self-determination exactly. is one of those things that we all need. Um, and I wanted to go back to early childhood for just a minute, just to talk about um, and talking about leaders in the nation. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't, since we're sitting with Dr. Vicki Mitchell in the room. Um, she is one of the gurus of transition um, also nationally. And pretty much anything I learned about transition, I learned from this wonderful person right here, Dr. Vicki Mitchell. Um, so to, to go back, I really, since you have listeners here, I would love, because the one thing, if anybody knows anything about Dr. Vicki Mitchell, it's that she helps people understand what transition is and she has a simple way of doing it and by having us focus on what the future looks like what adulthood looks like so since she's sitting here Vicki do you want to talk a little bit more about just kind of how you have trained all of us to start thinking about transition differently so for early childhood so in transition you know for all of those teachers and parents you know we've really been kind of sending your message of you know the first day of adult life starts, right? That last day that you're exiting, we should already have all those things in place. And so as we work with those early childhood specialists, leaders, parents, students, we really want to start earlier having parents understand what we're working toward. So I, since we have a few minutes, I would love for you to impart that wisdom that we all have uh, learned. Townsley, so sweet. If I can do that without crying, um, <laughs> you know, I have to. I have to give the credit to the Texas Education Agency, actually, because professionally, I grew up um, in in transition right after the 1990 law was passed, and uh, and at that time, the Texas Education Agency did what now they're doing, you know, have been doing, but really this new focus with bringing in all these national experts. And I I had the pleasure of sitting and listening to Dr. Lou Brown, and he taught us about how to work with students with significant disabilities or more challenging disabilities and support needs in our classroom. And he kept saying, you know, you cannot um, place and train, you, you know, you, you cannot, excuse me, you cannot train in place, because if you keep trying to train a student that has bigger challenges and then place them, you'll be training until the day they leave. Yes. And, and we also know 
that the way that they learn is they learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And so if you really want them to learn, then you have to place them where they're going to learn it and where they're going to do it. Yeah. And so he completely changed it around. And then 1990 came around and the Texas Education Agency funded the ESCs to bring in people like Dr. Uh, Ian Pumpian and Mary Falvey, uh, all the people who actually began to create the tools nationally for transition. And I was in the, a district in the Region 4 Education Service Center area and had the fortune to be brought in to become part of the team to develop the state model. And But I also, at that particular time, um, I had a daughter with a learning disability. Mm-hmm. And so I was learning this from the perspective of, Uh, a parent, Mm -hmm. as well as a person who had been a general educator and a special educator. And I recognized and I'd learned from all those wonderful people in my life that it's got to be a building block and you have to start early. Mm -hmm. You you can't do things for kids, always do it for them. And then suddenly at the age of 13 or 14, say, okay, now as of today, I would like for you to learn how to help yourself. It doesn't start that way. It starts that way with that one-year-old. You you keep Mm -hmm. looking at at what am I doing for my child that he needs to do for himself? Not that he can. It's that he needs to either now or someday. Mm -hmm. And so then how do Mm -hmm. I begin to teach those skills and and give them the opportunity to practice and also understand that when I do that, I have to allow them to fail because every one of us sitting in here has failed. The difference was we got up. But did we get up because we instinctively got up or did we get up because we had a special person in our life who helped us get up, Mm -hmm. dust Mm -hmm. off the dirt, get our crying over and said, but John, I know you can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it was parents, sometimes it was a teacher. And I've had the brilliant opportunity to work with all these people here in this room you know, all the way from Amy to Corina to Townsley to Susan to Kayla to Pam and 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 John and getting to know you. Yeah. Yes. And, Don't encourage and, him, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I've skinned yeah. my knees quite a few times growing yeah. up. I made plenty of mistakes and I fell down a lot. But yeah. there were those people that came into my life that lifted me up and that saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and that didn't do for me when when I wanted them to do for me. And, and it, it did lead to me being gritty. Yes. To me being able yes. to uh, Yes. And to overcome. that work. Grit. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm listening yes. to that on, on Oh, yes. If people so have not heard time, that on TED Talk, wonderful. go to Angela Duckworth. Yes. Duckworth and Grit. Yes. yes. But see, the people um, like Townsley and like all these, Kayla and not Korea, all these wonderful people here, it's, it's, they're doing, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. Yeah. They're finding people and they're teaching them what they know because that is what we do. In this room right here, we might not be the teachers of children, but we are now the teachers of teachers. Yes. And so we have to help them go out and really make a difference. Yeah, I love that. And I love, you know, even in Region 12, there are so many people that you've impacted. And, and one of those is Lori Tressel. Oh, uh, I know her loves, well. She just loves, loves you. Oh, I and love her Laura too. And I are, Laura and I are dear friends, and, and we work a lot together um, in yes. Region 12 and in kind of in that leadership perspective of growing your teams and building organizational capacity. And, and it's so exciting to see her doing student-led arts. And, and, you know, we had the opportunity to come to TCASE and share kind of the work she's doing there um, in Conley ISD building um, capacity in her staff, but also using the resources that are available to build an understanding in the students with disabilities so they can be more self-determined, so they can be more aware of their needs and, and not just their needs in a negative way, but in a positive way, those strengths, yes. you know, the things that they can do well. Yes. And so it's, it's, I've seen firsthand um, a little bit of that legacy. And so thank you very much for that. You know, oh, it's well. powerful. Uh, it, you know, it's people like Laurie and Amy and Townsley and all, Kayla, all these people, they're the ones who are doing it. They did yeah. the hard part. All I did was share what I learned. And now I watch them sharing what they learn and it's it's fun because yeah. I, I won't be here forever. I've been doing this a long time. And uh, that, yes, but that was another reason why when when I saw that TEA opportunity, I got with the team at the Garrett Center and, and then Townsley's the first one I called and said, we got to do this. We got to get this thing do done. This. Yes. <laughs> this is an opportunity. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, I just wanted to also add something about the opportunity that you have given me to join the group and kind of... Uh, talk about 
the differences that children not only have because they have a disability, but because they come from a different culture and a mm. different language. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily just because the tests are available in their language that they're going to be valid or that the parents are going to follow uh, because we are going to just give them instructions and give them recommendations. Yeah. But the value of doing that focusing on the culture mm. uh, where they come from. So that is you. so big. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So the value of uh, looking at that part of the child, where they come from, what are their parents? Let's say, for example, if we're going to give them recommendations and we're talking to them about uh, from our lens, from our, uh, you know, the, the mainstream culture mm -hmm. recommendations, you need to have your child be independent and they don't want their children to right. be independent. So I, I, I come from the background of assessment. I train bilingual diagnosticians mm -hmm. at Sam Houston State University. And I really appreciate uh, Vicky you know, asking me to join this, from the beginning, the Garrett Center, because all of the tools that we have at the Garrett Center website we're looking at, uh, and we have begun translating them into Spanish for the first, the ones for the parents, then for the students. So, you know, we have um, tools and we have uh, information for educators, for teachers. Well, educators and teachers are the same mm -hmm. for parents and yeah. for the students. But the value of looking at, like I said before, not necessarily just doing a translation mm -hmm. and that's done okay so now i accomplished it yeah but uh, looking at the rest of the story mm -hmm. um, when i do uh, when we train bilingual diagnosticians or people who are going to do assessments uh, for children who don't speak uh, english mm -hmm. we need to just look at the validity of the results mm -hmm. even when we test them in in both languages, sure. you know, are the results that we're getting results of their cognitive and achievement abilities, or are they filtered through the language acquisition? Yeah. Is it do, do the results match their language proficiency, things like that? Sure. But uh, one of our charges here with the network is also looking at assessments uh, for develop, you know, the Zaro Center, the University of Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, Kendra Williams Dine, uh, we're we're going to be working with her and to develop uh, those assessments to be able to draft IEPs that make sense for the students and the goals. So hopefully, you know, we will also be able to emphasize the, that cultural aspect mm -hmm. and the language aspect of those assessments. Okay, so, I, have a I have a question. Okay. <laughs> so, because I have a transition background, so, yes. I'm, so I'm, I'm thinking about, I got the early part, I know the high school part, I know the post-high school part. Yes. I'm, now I'm going to narrow right into the elementary part. Mm. Because for elementary teachers, who have never really thought about transition, as mm -hmm. you had said, Vicki. So what do you kind of envision that's going to look like for them? Because you're going to have your secondary people who will be on board. You have your ECI people, your early childhood people who are going to be on board. That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're used to doing this. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to a population of teachers where the T word really never existed. Yeah. And so now we're saying, hey... We got to look at transition yeah. for, for elementary age students. And I'm just throwing this out there. Anybody can take this thing. Well, and, you know, something that I always talk to elementary educators about is, you know, we talk about transition, but I try to empower elementary educators in understanding what self-determination is because we're already teaching self-determination. When those when students come in at three, four, five, they're in kinder, they're in first, yeah. um, you are working on self-determination skills. You just may not 
identify what you're doing. So are you giving students choices? Absolutely. That's choice making. That's part of self-determination. Um, are you having students set goals in third grade? Yes, absolutely. That's part of self-determination. So uh, you can't really have successful transition outcomes if you don't also have self-determination. And so for us to really start working with, you know, elementary educators, middle school educators, intermediate educators, and helping us kind of build those bridges between transition, self-determination is the best thing that we can do. Mm. And so as the network, uh, as Kayla talked about, we're going to be working with a guru in self-determination, Dr. Michael mm -hmm. Waymeyer, um, to help us kind of build some modules, some trainings and things like that. Um, but for anyone listening out there, you know, if you're working with an elementary educator, you don't have to wait for the network. I mean, yes. you know, whoever you're with, if you're with elementary educators, build in a self-determination, you know, component. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about self-determination because part of the issue right now with um, helping people understand self-determination is that not everyone's familiar with that word right now. And even if you're familiar with the word, you don't necessarily understand what all the components of self-determination are. People hear self-advocacy all the time, but don't necessarily understand that self-advocacy is part of Self-determination. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, self-determination is all of those self-hyphen words, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's self-regulation, um, but it's also choice-making, problem-solving, goal-setting, you know, all of those different things. And that is, it's already embedded in a lot of the TEKS, right? So if you look at first grade TEKS, you look at second grade, choice-making, problem-solving, mm -hmm. that is already embedded in what we do. So starting to um, help educators understand uh, the word self-determination so that then we can go back and look in the classroom and look at the lesson that we're doing today. Am I working on self-determination today if we're working on problem solving? Absolutely. So when I go to that ARD meeting uh, for, with that parent uh, you know, in first grade, um, I can talk to the parent about what we're doing in the classroom that is actually also self-determination. So if we start helping uh, ed elementary educators um, and parents understand uh, what self-determination looks like in the classroom where we're already teaching mm -hmm. self-determination, right. then we can help identify um, areas where students can improve their self-determination skills. Because if parents are already familiar with self-determination in elementary school, then it's very easy for us to continue building those self-determination skills yeah. when they go on, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, we can continue to build. Those. So by the time we get to high school, we've already done the self-determination thing. So we're just filling in the gaps now. We're not yeah. starting from ground zero working yeah. on self-determination. We understand what self-determination is. Yeah. Because the other side of that coin is that parents also teach self-determination, but don't necessarily understand, you know, all of the different mm -hmm. things that they can do at home, starting at, you know, when you're six months old. I mean, there's some things that parents can can do. And again, when you start to give your children choices at home, and so also giving those elementary educators uh, those tools to help parents understand what self-determination looks like in the home. Um, so through our work, you know, with Dr. Waymeyer and just kind of helping um, educators understand that really self-determination, if we can can start to identify that, label that, and continue mm -hmm. to build the capacity in self-determination, then that's really what is going to give our students those successful outcomes, which is transition from grade to grade. But once you get from, you know, that high school to that adulthood transition, mm -hmm. that's your ability to be self-determined is really the thing that's going to uh, guarantee yeah. your success yeah. in life. So, so how do we know that? Well, you know, like Townsley talks about Dr. Michael Weimar, well, self-determination is an evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. And the research on it says, and I'm going to paraphrase it, that students with disabilities who have self-determination skills are more likely one year after high school to be in competitive employment or in a post-secondary education or training program three years after high school. They're more likely to, in that employment, have moved into a job with benefits, mm -hmm. upward mobility, yeah. but in the post-secondary education training, either complete it or be close to complete it. Yeah. And we know how important that is, you know, for us as adults to be able to support ourselves. And But but you know what? We knew that before Michael Waymeyer did the research sure. because we went to our 10-year high school reunion and we mm -hmm. looked at those people yeah, who yeah. were the really smart ones. And I didn't fit in that category. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know what? It was the people who knew how to take the loss, who knew how to work hard, who navigate knew the how, world. Yes. <laughs> yeah, how yes, to fall yes, down yes. and get back up. Yes. And so yeah. you don't have to have a disability to yeah. need self-determination. It is what works. And that student who leaves public school, it's kind of like Townsley was saying. I mean, you know, we 
transition is to help students be prepared for life after public school. Yeah. And the question is, and that's what the IEP planning is all about. The question is, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because as Karina said, it's different for everybody. Yeah. And okay. if it's not, oh, I'm sorry. And if it's not part of that written document that you take to the IEP meeting, if it's not part of that full and individual evaluation summary, if nothing in that summary says, mm. look at transition mm -hmm. when the child is three, mm -hmm. when the child is six, when the, uh, I think that that's in my view, because I, I teach educational diagnosticians and we talk a lot about what does that look like in your FIEs? Mm -hmm. And they say, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's N.A. Uh, right. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, unfortunately, Mitchell, in practice, it has been. Uh, you know, you have been a proponent of adding that in the IEP. Yeah. In, yeah. I mean, in the FIE. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, I hear what, and I, I'm global and abstract in how I think about things. But I hear that it sounds like the, just the concept or the definition of transition is is kind of broadening and widening, and we're trying to encompass um, more of a child's life, really tethering it to every aspect of a child's life. It could be transitioning from first grade to second grade. It could be transitioning from the bathroom to the classroom. It could be transitioning from home to school. It could be, it's like, let's think about transition as like, this is happening all day, every day in the life of everyone. For students with disabilities, they need more opportunities to build those skills like self-determination mm -hmm. in order to do so successfully. Yes. Yeah. yeah and, and you're right. It is. Uh, the transition is horizontally as well as vertically. Uh, because you have the transition as you have the upward mobility mm -hmm. within the school system. But you have the horizontal transitions when the student mm -hmm. leaves the school to go home, mm -hmm. when they go from home out into the community. Mm -hmm. You know, what skills do they need? What kind of support do they need? How can I help them learn how to have support that doesn't require me as a school district person sure. or require somebody who is paid. How can I help <coughs> develop those natural supports? Yeah. Because if I don't understand the, the horizontal and the vertical transitions, then I'm going to have a student who meets graduation requirements and ex exit public school. And we haven't, <coughs> we haven't really addressed what in transition we call the coordinated set of activities. It's not supposed to just be a list of things that you meet because it's in federal law. It's yeah. federal law for a reason. Right. And that reason is it is what builds that horizontal yeah. and vertical. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's supposed to be just those pieces that help plan out the activity. But that's another thing with the, the, uh, the new network, the Student Center Transitions Network, is we are really trying to look at how do we build capacity in all of our stakeholders? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we are developing, uh, there are a few products that will be developed this year, but we will continuously develop them in future years so that there are more that are available to teachers, but what we call bundle training. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if I am the parent and you are the teacher and, and Amy is the student, mm -hmm. if, if we're looking at... Let's take, for example, transition assessment. If I'm the only one who understands what it is and what it's for and how to use it, then um, how am I going to get what in the law we call meaningful involvement of the parent and, and input of the student? Exactly. It becomes a piece of paper. And so if, if I have an assessment, if I have a, a bundle training of assessment, that there's one that's for me as the teacher to understand what it is, how to do it, but also that I don't just give it and now write an IEP. You as the student, and you know, that's your assessment. Yeah. You as a teacher, I would not want the principal to come and do the annual assessment and then not give me the results. Just sure. go ahead and write up the report. Right. You know, exactly. I, I need to, because how else am I going to teach you self-determination yeah. if I don't say to you, let me, let me tell you what I, what I found in this assessment that yeah. you took. But I have to also make sure that it's strengths based. Yes. You don't need to hear everything that's wrong. You already know that. You that's know right. that you're struggling. I just love that. And and if it's if you're the parent of the child that has more significant disabilities, you already know <clears throat> that your child is struggling and you're worried about life after public school. So we've got to move to a strengths base and we've got to move to where you 
recognize your strengths and you know that I value your strengths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you're thinking your strengths are is, hey, you're right. That is a strength sure. because it validates you and it helps you to move on. And so, but then as the, the parent, that parent knowing how to have input. And so the bundle training, it will, will start this year and the, the uh, transition assessment is one of the ones. Uh, so then the question would be, uh, if it's going to meet the needs of all students, then I have to recognize that I'm going to have some students who might be in a special education classroom all day or most of the day. That's pretty easy for me to, you know, train them. But what about those students who are in full inclusion? Mm -hmm. How do I get the information to them? So that's something that we're working on so that we can try and have something that it's it's short, need to know, kind of like what you guys are doing here with the podcast, mm -hmm. but it's accessible to the parent and the student, and it's not cumbersome, but exactly what it is that they need to know. Yeah. The other product and resource that we're developing that is a bundle training is the video modeling, mm -hmm. uh, because oh, the video awesome. modeling, I mean, we use it all the time because we use it to learn how to put something together. Sure. Um, I recently learned how to use it to put together my iRobot that uh -huh. I ordered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. YouTube. You can learn how to do anything on YouTube. I still impress myself. Yes, yes. But I've decided I need to get a dog because she's become too friendly. Oh, wow. oh, yes. Yeah, I need, I need some company. Oh, that's that, great. But so that YouTube is like the video modeling. Yes. And, uh, and so, but then I can use it if I'm the student. To learn how to help myself. Yes. Um, we use it. In fact, Ryan Kellams from Brigham Young University is going to be doing this for us. He's considered one of the premier authorities on video modeling and special education, especially in the area of transition. And, and so we use video modeling to help a student to be able to see what it is they're getting ready to do so they know what it looks like and how to do it. Yeah. They can also use it for self-monitoring. They can use it to look back after they finish, you know, to... Uh, evaluate what they did. did right. I'm looking at this video right now. Then I'm going to look at what I did. Did I accomplish it? Absolutely. Um, but we'll also have a version. That, so there'll be the version for the teachers, how to use it in the classroom for the academics, not just for, you know, the vocational and transition, but also yes. for the academics. Yeah. But we'll have one for the parents. How as a parent can I begin to use this? Because if I have a child who's struggling with learning how to brush their teeth mm -hmm. or getting to bed, what are, you know, what are different ways that I as a parent can begin to use this yeah. or supplement, support what's happening in the classroom? But me in the classroom support and supplement. There's so many, you know, different ways that that can be supportive of each other. Sure. Um, you know, so the bundle training again with the, the video modeling. And so we're pretty excited about that. Concept. When are those due to come out? Or, or is it, will they come out cyclically kind of? In, yes. In, yes. Throughout the year. The, okay. the fall basically is a lot of the planning because uh, we're getting input from students from around the state on these different uh, resources that are being developed as well as the ESCs and, and working with these uh, national specialists. And, and so then as this gets developed, they'll be completed in the spring. Okay. So some of them will be uh, completed by the end of this year. Some are ready for the beginning of year two. And then we're going to continuously build on that library of bundled training. And then those, and then those will be accessible through the network's website or is that what it'll be? Yes, uh -huh. yes, yes. Um, the the teacher training when it first starts it'll go out roll out to the ESCs the education service centers and then the education service centers will there'll be a variety of ways that they'll use them they can use them uh, using Zoom uh, so that they can get out to all these teachers who are not able to uh, make it into the mm -hmm. service center they can have it where uh, they have the bundle training face-to-face, -face, and then it's almost like a professional learning community afterwards. How are we going to use this? Yeah. Uh, and then how are we going to get this out to our students and our parents? Mm -hmm. Because we not only have to make it available to them, we have to make sure they know it exists sure. and that they, are, they see, or see that it will be useful. Yes. Because I'm, I am motivated to use something if I know it's going to make my life better and totally. easier. Mm -hmm. And so we have to know how we get that across. Yeah. And if we do it right the first time, then our parents and students will be looking for more information. Oh, yes. And they'll know that when we get out another, you know, product uh, and, and, you know, resources for them that, hey, that that was useful last time. Let me I just heard there's another one. Let That's me check right. it out. That's right. 
Hey, John, Kayla's been pulling on my shirt. Uh -oh. I, think, I think she has something to say. <laughs> You're still intact. I'm still so intact. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I just want to say we have got incredible educators in the classrooms and on the campuses. But I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy because we have such passion and compassion for mm -hmm. our kids mm -hmm. that when we see them struggle, we want to do for them and we want to help them and want to end that struggle because it hurts our hearts. Yeah. But the learning is in the struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to look at opportunities for, you know, when you see our kids struggling with things that they're going to need to know and be able to do to successfully transition to, yeah. like Pam was saying, whether it's in elementary or to middle or high or mm -hmm. after, um, things that they will need to know that will serve them well going on. If this is something they'll never need to use again, fine, let's help them. Sure. But if they might use it again tomorrow, then yeah. let's teach them. Yeah. And and I do right. think you know, that yeah. takes more, you know, it takes more time and and yeah. and you know teachers. Well, but again, I think the biggest part is just that our hearts hurt when we see our kids yeah. struggle, but we have to mm -hmm. embrace them and help them through the struggle. Absolutely. And I to piggyback off of that, I've heard parents, I mean, they're the mm -hmm. same way. They love they love their kid. They don't want them to struggle. It, it hurts them to see them in the struggle. Mm -hmm. And then one day they wake up and they're a junior and it's like, what do I do next? What do I do do now? Yeah. And um, and that that is heartbreaking. Of course, I always tell my parents, it's never too late. Yeah. It's never too late. You yeah. can start. But Building the earlier skills. you start, mm -hmm. the better it is for everyone. Yeah. And I was sitting in a, a district-wide meeting, uh, just in a collaborative, and the parent was, was saying that she wouldn't have been ready at seventh grade for her child to be thinking about life after high school. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, the work we've got to do. Mm -hmm. Because really and truly, that should be the thought from the time they, like you said, Townsley, yeah. from the time they enter school. Yeah. And so it's kind of a paradigm shift in thinking because most parents don't ever think about what if I'm not there. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I mean, transition, I've been accused yeah. that, of, of I think that transition begins in the womb. And I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's a saying of the days are long and the years are short. Oh, and yes. um, personally, I raised four kids and really and truly, yes. if they turn 18 before you know it. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. I've got four start. little ones at home and three are still young, you know, 12, 11 and nine. But I swear I look up and these kids are aging so quickly and, and, you know, blessed to have great kids, but there's days where I need them to do a little bit more for themselves. So, Dr. Mitchell, I may get you over to my house. I may get you to come train me. So that's what and I've been you know, missing. You can access the video. Yeah, well, that's what I'll do. Right. So get hey, me on I've that list. I've got a form for you, too. Well, good. Through it. We'll, make, we'll look through it and figure it out. Parents are transitioning yeah. just like the children. Yeah. Just yeah. like we were talking about. Yeah. 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 So it's yes. a great point. Yeah. And I think another good point with this, this network is that several of us are raising or have raised children with disabilities. Yes. yes. And so we have the parent perspective as well. And Absolutely. I did a really poor job of it. I My kids too. are grown, but we're going to help other people do better. And we'll yeah. get the grandchildren <laughs> to fix them. The grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Okay. Thank you all. One thing I like to do as we wrap up is that I like it. It's a game I like to play, and it's, it's called One Word. And one word is really, since we're talking about this new network, I want you to think about one word that would describe this network or one word you would want people to know about the network and your feelings about it. It's your one word. So whoever wants to go first can say your one word and also the reason behind your one word. Okay. If I start first, it'll be easier, right? Mm, it no. is easier. <laughs> uh, for me, collaboration. There mm. is such tremendous collaboration among the members, among the state, among the agencies, among all the stakeholders. I've never seen such collaboration in an endeavor before. Right. I'll say communication. Coll collaboration is going to be my first word, but that's part of the three C's for success. And yeah. communication among all, everyone, parents and our students and our professionals and our, our inner agencies and just everyone involved. Hmm. 
And it may seem like I'm cheating, but it's hyphenated, so no, it's still like one word. No Self-determination. You can okay. do that one. Self-determination. It's got a hyphen. Well, let's um, go to the judges. <laughs> we'll take that. We'll accept that. And so, but self-determination, because again, you look at the name of the network, student-centered transition. So if we can do nothing else, we have to be student-centered. And so the best thing that we can do for any student, anything that we do is give them self-determination skills. Yes. And I would say capacity. Uh, And the reason why is because it, a parent who feels like uh, things aren't getting done at school wants and they go to all these trainings to get what they need to know. They can't do it by themselves. Absolutely. I, as so the true. teacher, I can go to all the trainings I want. I can't do it by myself. Mm-hmm. But the parent and the and myself as the teacher, we can't do it just the two of us. Right. It is the life of that student. So building capacity across the board, you know, all the way from the three main players to the stakeholders, and the stakeholders are not just their agencies and community employers. Yeah. It's our principals. Oh, yes. It's our teachers, Absolutely. our general teachers. It's our support people. It's it's everybody. So capacity. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I was thinking along more or less the same lines. Uh, helpful. It's okay. going to be helpful across the board. Yeah. So that would define it for me. Do we get to do a word? You get to do a word. I got a word. My word that keeps, it just can't get out of my head is opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, maybe I'm just an optimist, Pam. I don't know. I drive Pam crazy sometimes. <laughs> but but I, I feel like so many of the changes that are occurring in Texas and so many of the changes that are occurring in education and so many of the, some of it's been difficult. We've had, we've had a few years of, of a lot of people struggling in, in our state, and we've had educators and students and families, I think, struggling. Um, but I just see this as such an opportunity. I feel like history is in the making right now in Texas. I feel like we're going to look back in a generation from now and realize that we had a small part in, in changing mm-hmm. um, the future, really, for a more positive outlook. And so for me, it's the opportunities that, that this network will create through the work. But I think, too, it's just this time period um, that is brought upon this network is is just it's an opportunity for us to really feel like our life's work has really, really led to great things for for empowering others to have wonderful lives. Mm-hmm. So mine's opportunity. Yeah, maybe. Mine is possibility. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, came up with something uh that let's start looking at the possibility instead of the disability mm-hmm. and planning from from strength. And so um, just I, I get excited every time I hear about just the new ideas. They're really not new ideas, but to see action with the That's idea right. uh, of this network. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And my word is endurance. Mm. because as someone who's as I keep telling John I'm fading out (laughs) (laughs) that's what she thinks and uh, who's who's worked in the area of transition most of my career is that I know this will require endurance because you guys are are really you're okay if I'm a words uh, you're going so many different angles with Mm. transition and the state has never really gone so broadly with with transition yeah. and it's going to be a test it's it's going to you know it's, it's going to be a challenge but all those pieces together and it's going to be it's going to be endurance it's it's yeah. not it's not a sprint definitely mm-hmm. but it, it is so worth it you know people yeah. ask me you know why are you so passionate about transition and i say it's because it's about people's lives mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. but we have people like you to tap into yeah so uh, we can run the race <laughs> That's right. So Pam's that was not most important, yeah. Kayla. Pam keeps saying, "I'm about to fade out." I'm like, "Yeah, you keep saying that, but we can't do sped talk with John." John. Right? I mean, there needs to be Pam up in front of all that, right? Everybody knows this really is sped talk with John. Come on now, that is that's a whole bunch of hooey. So, well, listen, this has been so fun and so purposeful, and I think that's a big part of the reason why Pam and myself and Amy feel like. Um, having a platform like this to celebrate the work and the people, the organizations, the efforts and the resources really that are available in Texas. I believe we live in the greatest state in this nation. Yes. And I believe we live in the greatest country in the world. And we have opportunities here um, that, that many other countries don't have and that even other states don't have. And I feel like when you have a, a team like this coming together around this work, anything is possible. 
And so some of the things that we're recommending and that we're trying to achieve, they're not really they're not really that hard. We just got to get everybody moving in the right direction. And yes. what a perfect team of people to do that. So thank you guys. Thank, thank, you. You, thank you for inviting us. Thank Absolutely. And if you, you know, as you're developing things and if you want to you know, get back on Spat Talk and just, just kind of shout, do a shout out with us, we will. We would love we'll, to have you back. We'll share, okay. we'll share with the audience. We will Sounds take great. you back on that. Well, yes. guys, that's <laughs> a wrap. Thanks for having us. <laughs> To continue to elevate the conversation, hit us up on Twitter at SpedTalk2020, where you can find links to all of our episodes and each of the resources that we discussed today. John, also links to the resources will be available at our podcast site. And if you found these resources helpful, be sure to share them with, with a friend because information should always flow through us, not to us. That will do it for this episode of Sped Talk. And remember, courage creates culture and kindness keeps us connected. Until the next time, I'm Pam. And I've been John. And this is Sped Talk. Living in the moment and the moment is the future.